All my adult life I've been haunted by the horrors of what went on in the Belgian Congo. Belgian indeed was personally owned by King Leopold II, who has to go down in history as one of its greatest monsters during his reign of terror, which went on to inspire Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, somewhere between 10 million and 15 million people were massacred, mutilated, starved, all in the pursuit of rubber. Well, 110 years later, if you own a smartphone, an iPad, a laptop or an electric vehicle, you want to pay close attention to what you're about to hear because inside each of these devices is a rare metal called cobalt and there's a good chance it came from, yes, the Democratic Republic of the Congo where, and I quote, there is no such thing as a clean supply chain. That's according to Siddharth Kaha, an author, researcher, screenwriter, activist who's been researching modern slavery and human trafficking for over 20 years. He says, and I quote, all cobalt sourced from the DRC is tainted with various degrees of abuse, including slavery, child labour, forced labour, debt bondage, hazardous and toxic working conditions, pathetic wages, injury and death, and incalculable environmental harm. He travelled to the Congo mining provinces in 2018, 2019 and 2021, taking great risks to document what was happening. The result is the book, Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives, and I'm regarded as an honour that he's able to join us. Welcome to Late Night Live. Siddharth, why why is cobalt in such high demand? Remind us of its uh, rising importance. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to join you uh, this evening to talk about this urgent and crucial human rights matter. Uh, Cobalt, um, you and I, people like us, we cannot function for 24 hours without cobalt. That's why it's in such immense demand. Cobalt is used in the rechargeable, lithium-ion rechargeable batteries of almost every smartphone, tablet, laptop, and crucially, almost every electric vehicle being manufactured today. And it's the electric vehicle market that is really stimulating immense demand in the years to come. Each battery pack in an EV requires up to 10 kilograms of refined cobalt, a thousand times more than the average smartphone. So as we transition from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles, this is driving enormous demand for cobalt. And it just so happens that the Democratic Republic of the Congo holds more reserves of cobalt than the rest of the planet combined. 72% of the global cobalt supply was mined in the DRC. Yes, that's last year, and that ratio will only increase in the years to come. There's just not enough other cobalt elsewhere in the world uh, outside of the Congo. And this is that great tragedy, that curse, the resource curse that has plagued the Congo for generations. You noted that in your opening remarks back to the days of Leopold. And what's, what's so tragic and ironic is, you know, Leopold's genocidal massacre of the Congo was driven by uh, another resource that was needed for the first automobile revolution, which was rubber. 
Uh, Leopold got his hands on the Congo in 1885, the same year that Carl Benz invented the internal combustion engine. And three years later, a Scottish fellow named Dunlop invented a rubber tire and the scramble was on. Congo had one of the largest rubber forests in the world and Leopold deployed his mercenary army to force and terrorize the local population to extract rubber. Now here we are, more than a century later, in the midst of a new automobile revolution, this time to electric vehicles. And once again, the Congo is sitting on the invaluable resource. This time it's cobalt. You have to explain to us the two ways that cobalt is mined in the Congo, industrial mining on the one hand and artisanal mining. Yes, and in fact, it's so crucial for your listeners to understand that outside of the Congo, the the story goes that there is artisanal and industrial production and never the twain shall meet that a company buying industrial cobalt can give you the assurance that there is no cobalt mine from child labor artisanal production in that supply chain. And it's an utter fiction. So industrial mining, of course, means using excavators and heavy machinery to gouge at the earth and pull out valuable ore. Artisanal, a quaint term that belies the horrible realities of uh, hand-based mining, is exactly that. The local population, which is grindingly poor and disadvantaged, using pickaxes, shovels, and stretches of rebar to hack and gouge at the earth to gather that same valuable ore containing cobalt. The issue, the crucial issue, is that all of that artisanal production merges into the industrial formal supply chain before it ever leaves the Congo. And from that point forward, there is no way to disaggregate what is industrially mined cobalt and what is artisanal. You describe industrial mining as, uh, well, doing surgery with a shovel. Artisanal mining is doing it with a scalpel. But it's still a terrible, terrible operation. So tell us what you witnessed in those mines you visited. The mining provinces tucked in the southeastern corner of the Congo are an utter hellscape. If you walk around that part of the world, you see hundreds of thousands of some of the poorest people in the world scraping and scrounging in pits and trenches and tunnels to gather their sack of cobalt for the day for which they'll be paid maybe a dollar or two. Young women with babies strapped to their backs, children as young as six, caked in toxic filth. And this is important for people to understand. Cobalt is toxic. It's toxic to touch toxic to breathe. And yet hundreds of thousands of Congolese people who have to make the choice between engaging in hazardous, toxic, contaminating work day in and day out with their children just to survive or not having enough money to eat food that day. It is an utter tragedy that this kind of degrading labor would be taking place at the bottom of supply chains that reach up into companies that are worth trillions of dollars. One of the horrors you write about is that the tunnels can collapse at any moment and, well, frequently do. Many people are buried alive. You know, in Heart of Darkness, Kurtz's last words are the horror, the horror. And those words just ring in my mind every day relating to these tunnel collapses. It's an utter horror. Um, there must be 10 to 15,000 at least, maybe more, 
tunnels that have been dug by hand by artisanal miners. And they dig them because uh, a little bit further down, 20, 30, maybe 40 meters deep, there are higher grades of cobalt. Uh, and that means instead of earning a dollar or two that day, they may earn four or five that day. The tunnels will have a diameter of maybe a meter. They will shimmy down all the way down and then crawl along parallel tracks that they've dug out to hack at these veins of cobalt, spending maybe 24 hours crouched in darkness, breathing particulate toxic matter all day and night, feeding cobalt up to the surface. And these tunnels do not have supports, do not have ventilation shafts, and they collapse all the time. And when they do, everyone down there is buried alive, including teenage boys. And I met women who had lost their husbands, fathers and mothers who had lost their sons to these tunnel collapses. It's the most horrid demise you can possibly imagine. But people take these risks to try to earn a little more money, just a little bit more money. What drives people into this uh, terrible life? The need to survive. You see, as the big mines have grown and grown and grown down there, displacing tens of thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of people, entire villages just being flattened and destroyed in order to expand a big industrial mine, there's less and less ways for people to survive. Fewer and fewer places for them to even live. And so the only way, in many cases, for people to ensure they can earn a dollar or two a day is to scramble and scrounge for that sack of cobalt, that sack of cobalt that they sell into the formal supply chain, oftentimes having to crawl back onto the land they once lived on, in many cases for generations, but had just been evicted from because a big mining company was expanding the size of its enormous pit. Siddharth, you also write about kids being abducted and trafficked. Yes, this is a war-torn in many parts of the Congo, utterly lawless area. The Congo is sitting on immense resources. And so there are militias everywhere. And militias often abduct and traffic children from other parts of the Congo into the cobalt mining provinces and force them to dig because they'll enjoy the money that is generated from those 10, 20, 30 children they may have trafficked digging cobalt out each day. And if those children are injured or die, well, there are millions of more poor children in the Congo who can be abducted, abducted, trafficked, or exploited. It's just really an utter human rights catastrophe on top of the environmental violence taking place. Previously, quite a lot of people were employed by a state-owned company that, well, provided housing and fixed wages, but it collapsed. Yes, that's right. There was, um, in 1967, um, the then uh, head of Congo, Joseph Mobutu, nationalized the mining operations into a state-run mining company called Jekamine. And Jekamine operated for a few decades, employing thousands of people, training them, providing them with housing, sacks of flour, schools for children. The problem was corruption and graft at the top of the company. And chief amongst the thieves was Mobutu himself. And ultimately, the, the state-run company... Well, he, he was put into power after the assassination of his predecessor. You know, the more you pull on the thread of history in the Congo, the more tragedy and injustice uh, and torment you uncover. And that's another layer to it. You're exactly right. Um, Congo achieved independence in 1960. They democratically elected 
their head of state, Patrice Lumumba, he had a bold anti-colonial nationalist vision that the country's vast mineral wealth should be used for the benefit of its people. And he was not in power 11 days before the Belgians sent in a military force to annex and secede Katanga, which is the part of the country where the mines were. And that was responsible for 80% of the, of the government's income. So the country was crippled before it ever had a chance. Within a few months, Belgium, the US, the UN, neocolonial interests had deposed Patrice Lumumba, conspired to assassinate him, chop him to pieces, dissolve his body in acid, grind the bones, save one tooth that was held as a souvenir by one of the Belgian assassins, and his descendants saw fit finally to return that tooth just last year. The horror, the horror. Do we, is this kind of mining actually legal in the Congo? Or is it a case of, you know, just avert the gaze? Well, everyone's turning their eyes away from this tragedy and looking forward at this green future and all the money that's being generated from it by mega cap tech and EV companies. Now, industrial mines operate. They operate on concessions that they've purchased and leased. They're supposed to uh, operate sustainably, but they dump toxic effluents all over the countryside. They've clear-cut millions of trees without replanting them. That's technically against Congolese law, but everyone's looking the other way. Artisanal mining is authorized to take place in about not quite 100 authorized zones, but that's insufficient to support a completely displaced and poor population of a few million people in that part of the Congo. So everyone digs wherever they can. So it's really just a scramble. It's a scramble for cobalt because there's so much demand at the top of the chain. Let's talk solutions if solutions are feasible. You're not arguing that uh, we should stop moving towards more sustainable technologies or that we should stop using our smartphones, but that the supply chain needs to be fixed. How could that be done? Yes, that's exactly right. And every one of the companies that sells us smartphones and tablets and electric vehicles already says that their supply chains of cobalt are untainted by child labor and forced labor, that they're fully audited, and that all the mining is done sustainably. So they make these proclamations, but unfortunately, the ground truth reveals that none of it is happening. So really, they just simply need to meet the commitments they already claim to be making. Demand for cobalt starts at the top of the chain. That's where the solutions need to start. I dare say not one of the mega cap tech and EV companies has ever sent a team to the ground, to the Congo, to see where their cobalt is coming from. I offer an open invitation to any of them, any CEOs, any teams that want to go and see how their cobalt is mined with their own eyes. Let's go see it. And then we can make decisions about how to address this tragedy. It's up to them, and they certainly have the resources to do it. What about within the DRC? Is there a way of channeling more of the wealth back into the country and uh, the pockets of miners and their families? I know you've pointed out that the DRC doesn't currently have the electrical capacity to be able to refine its own cobalt. Yeah, the country is so... Um insufficiently equipped from an infrastructure and governance standpoint to actually adequately enjoy and monetize the benefits of, it, of its own resources, add to that corruption and lawlessness and conflict 
in the eastern part of the country. It's a very tall order. Um, yeah, the Congo, I mean, in rural areas, doesn't even have a 1% electrification rate. I mean, imagine that. Almost every village I went to in the Congo, in the mining provinces, doesn't have electricity. And yet they live right next to mines that are producing the world's supply of one of the most important rechargeable energy metals in the world. So, are, are, are other African nations reaching out and trying to help? No, what, what the Congo needs is investment from the top of the chain. Uh, and the current president, President Shishikidi, he sees what's being done to his country. He's trying to form alliances with the West and the United States in particular um, to try to support more investment uh, and infrastructure development. But it's going to take time and it's a tall order. They need big dollar investments from some of these tech and EV companies. Look, I have to ask you this before I let you go. Millions of trees have been clear-cut, haven't they? Dozens of villages, bulldozed, rivers, air polluted, arable land destroyed. Absolutely. That's the other, that's the other enormous and appalling reality, that we are building our green future by destroying the environment of the Congo. It's green for us, but red and destructive for them. And that's, that's a hypocrisy that simply cannot stand. And you walk around that part of the Congo and the air burns your eyes, the water, the rivers are covered in toxic foam and sludge. And yes, millions of trees, just clear cut. Your audience should go and just do, go to Google Earth and punch in the, the city Kolowezi and just zoom in a bit and you will see enormous, enormous open pit mines that have just swallowed the city. And if you scroll around that part of the Congo, it's just mine after mine after mine. The amount of environmental destruction is just heartbreaking. So blood diamonds, blood ivory, and now blood, uh, blood cobalt. Is there anything that listeners can do to help? I think spreading awareness. This is how change happens. It's, this is how it happened in the first Congo horror. Uh, people went down, um, like Roger Casement, like the many missionaries who were in the Congo, like George Washington Williams, these heroes who went deep into the heart of darkness to find the truth, to bring light there and bring that truth out to the world because there are people of conscience who will not let it stand. And that's how the social movement was built and catalyzed with force of will and flooding the world with truth and ultimately compelling Leopold to part with his prized personal colony. Maybe you could say things didn't improve too much once the Belgian state took over, but it was a victory in that moment of time against darkness and treachery. Same thing today. Is, is, there, to is there any signs of a creative, well, political upheaval within the Congo? There's, there is a, a thin civil society in the Congo that is trying to bring its own truth out into the world, but it, they, they face immense obstacles, not the least of which are violent repression uh, and, of course, just the, the, the lawlessness and insecurity that they live with uh, day in and day out. I've had the privilege of talking to uh, Siddharth Kara about his book, Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives. And uh, I congratulate you on your absolutely heroic efforts. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go 
Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.